So the title of this sermon is Why God? And it's part two. So if you missed part one, go watch part one. Come back and watch part two. Rather than a long review, there's a lot I want to cover today. Or rather than a long intro, there's a lot I want to cover today. So I'm going to jump right in. Y'all okay with that? Be all right? Jump right in. So here's what we said last week, briefly. Why does God allow suffering? Why is God allowing the suffering you're going through right now? There are quite a number of reasons that might apply to you, reasons that are found in Scripture. The first one we looked at last week was this. Sometimes we just suffer because we're living in a fallen world. And that's part of the price of living in a fallen world and being fallen people. There is now suffering. Ever since the fall, there's suffering on the planet. There's suffering in the world. The world is not a safe or a friendly place to live because it's under a curse. Second thing we saw last week, why God? Why, why, why might I be suffering? Sometimes we suffer simply because there's a heavenly contest. Who was that? An Old Testament character. Who was that? That was Job. It wasn't, it wasn't because there was something wrong with Job. It wasn't something Job did. It wasn't just because we're on a fallen planet and there are consequences of that. It was because it was a heavenly contest between God and the devil, and God is showing off his man Job. Are you willing? I asked you last week. I'll ask you again today. Are you willing? Are you so submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ, his will and his purposes for your life, that you would say, Lord, if you want to use me as you use Job, give me grace. Give me grace, but do it, Lord, do it. Here's the third reason why we suffer. This is new for today. Sometimes we suffer because somebody else is breaking God's commands. So, so far, it's just been about a fallen earth, and so far, it's just been about a heavenly contest, but now we come down here to the earth, and sometimes your suffering, my suffering, people's suffering is there because somebody is breaking God's commandments, and in so doing, the fallout of their commandment breaking is coming our way. What they're doing is hurting us. God allows, let me put it another way, God allows other people to break his commandments. Allowing them to break commandments means sometimes, in so doing, they will hurt you or me. Let me give you some examples. We don't read very far in the Bible before we have a very good example of this. Genesis chapter 4. What's the name of the first son born to Adam and Eve? Cain. What's the name of the second son? Abel, and you know the story. If you're up on the Bible a little bit, you know what happened. Cain killed Abel. Let me read it for you, Genesis 4, verses 8 and 9. So Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were out in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And killed him. very first son born on the planet, became a murderer. He broke God's command, you shall not murder. Fratricide, murdered his brother. Next verse. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? The Lord knew where. He's just a rhetorical question to get the man to admit what he had done. Instead of that, he said, kind of snarky response to God. He said, I do not know. He didn't know. It was a lie. And then here's the snarky part. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I my brother's keeper? Sassy, snarky way to talk to God. We're not very long after the fall, and here's the human race, and here's the first son, here's the second son. His blood cries out to God from the dirt. And because of this, people suffered. Who suffered? Abel suffered. However briefly, however long it took for that horrible deed to occur, however long it took for the beating to rob him of his life, he suffered knowing that he was about to die out in that field. Who else suffered? His parents, Adam and Eve. Can you imagine? This is the first murder on the planet. Like there had never even been such a thing. They'd never heard of such a thing. It didn't exist. And now their oldest boy killed their youngest boy. 
and they're trying to figure out, what is this? What do we call this? Let's call it murder. Let's call it fratricide. And they've just experienced this thing, and their son, their secondborn, is gone. Why did that happen? Because God allowed Cain to break commandments. This is what happens on a fallen planet. Fallen people break God's commandments. Sometimes the hurt comes our way. Sometimes when they break commandments, it comes into our lives and we suffer. All because God allows humans to make choices, bad choices, that bring horrible consequences to others. I just want to insert right here, but if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, even then, you can find ways for the brightness of the grace of God to shine into your life. Amen? Amen. Here's another example of how others break commandments and it brings us suffering. Joseph, the Old Testament character named Joseph, is a prime example of this. We're looking in Genesis chapter 37, and I'm going to read for you verse 4. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of them, more than all his brothers, they hated him. They hated him. We'll see in a moment what is obvious. We know they hated him because they were jealous. In jealousy and envy, they hated their brother, just like Cain and Abel. Same thing happening again, larger scale. They hated him. A whole group of them hated him. And they could not speak peacefully to him. Anytime he showed up, it was, yeah, what are you doing here? They couldn't have a nice conversation with him. Not one of them, not one time. They could not. And it gets worse. So, uh, verse 17b through 18. Thank you. Now, Joseph had a dream. It tells us in the text the contents of the dream. For the sake of time, I'm omitting that. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. They hate him, and now they hate him even more. Genesis 37, 11, the next verse. And his brothers were jealous of him. There's why they hated him. Jealousy is a powerful factor in fallen hearts. Jealousy is a powerful factor in humanity. And they were jealous of him and they hated him, but his father kept this saying in mind. Verse 17b, please, Genesis 37, 17b. So Joseph went after his brothers because in the previous verses that I omitted, daddy said, your brothers are out in the field, go check on them. See how they're doing and bring me word. So he went out into the field after his brothers and found them at this place called Dothan. And they saw him, here he was coming, they saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. There's our brother, there he comes, and under the, under the cloak of darkness, the darkness of distance, Father's eye is not upon us. Nobody will know, nobody will see it. It's broad daylight, but we're in darkness here. We can do with him as we please. They plot, they conspire against him to kill him. Let's kill him. Next verse, verses 19 and 20. And they said to one another, here comes this, this dreamer. You can hear their disgust at that dream that God had given him that exalted him above his brothers. Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. There were pits out there where they were tending to the to the herds. Next verse. And they took him and they threw him down into a pit. Now imagine you're him and these are your brothers. These are your brothers. It's not your fault your father favors you. It's not your fault God the Father favors you. 
These are his brothers, and they're jealous, and they hate him, and they hate him all the more, and they plot to kill him, and they throw him in a pit, and the pit was empty, meaning there's no food, there's nothing down there, and there was no water in it, meaning in that hot, arid climate, you're dead maybe in a day if they leave you in there. And here's the most remarkable part, I think, in the whole story, perhaps, the, the callousness of their hearts, their coldness toward their brother, then they sat down to eat. It's like, hey, let's go have a sandwich. Anybody hungry? Yeah, let's go eat. They just threw him in a pit where he's going to die. Their brother. Then they sat down to eat. Well, a caravan came along. And one of the brothers named Reuben really didn't want Joseph to die, so he convinced the brothers, hey, look, rather than letting him die in the pit, let's sell him. Let's sell him to these Midianites. So they did. They sold him. Now it's man-selling. They sold him into slavery. And the Midianites sold him to Egyptians, and the Egyptians took him down to Egypt. And if you know the story, it's going to resume later in Egypt. But here's what happens to Jacob's dad, Genesis 37, 34. Then Jacob tore his garments, that's what they did for mourning in those days, and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, no, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. <laughs> Thus, his father wept for him. Why do we suffer? Because God gives fallen sinners freedom, liberty, permission, ability, and breath to break his commandments. And sometimes in breaking his commandments, they are hurting other people. This is why you suffer sometimes. People are hurting you. The solution, by the way, is not, therefore, I will avoid people. The second commandment on the planet is love people. So you have to, you get hurt, you have to push yourself right back out and say, I'm going to do the will of God and love people, and if I get hurt, well, I get hurt. I'll go to heaven one day. But I'm just going to keep loving and keep loving and keep loving, even though sometimes they hurt me. Reuben was hurt. He didn't want this to happen to Joseph. He tried to talk them out of it. He's the one who said, all right, I'll at least keep him alive. Let's sell him to, into slavery. He came up with a plan to at least save Joseph's life. Reuben was hurt by this. How do you imagine Joseph felt about this? He was hurt by this. Imagine it's you. You're in a pit. Your brother just threw you in a pit. Now they drag you back out and they sell you so they can get a little money for the value of your life. Joseph is hurt. He's going to spend years down in Egypt before he knows what God's purposes for this were, what God's reasons for this were. Imagine his thoughts through those years. He was hurt because his brothers were breaking commandments. His father was hurt. His father suffered horribly. Sometimes we suffer because others are breaking God's commands. On this fallen earth, God allows that. He gives people freedom to do that. So they break his commandments. They fail to love you. Remember, love does no harm to your brother. If you love, you won't break God's commandments and hurt people. But they fail to love you. So they become adulterous with your wife. Because they don't love you. They steal from you because they don't love you. They bear false witness against you. They're not careful to make sure their words about you are accurate and true and need to be said. So they bear false witness against you. They abuse alcohol and become intoxicated and drive and slam their car into your car and you are injured and you're saying, why God? Well, there may be other purposes, but one of them is this. Here's why, because God allows fallen sinners freedom to sin. When you're asking why God on an occasion like that, what you're really asking is the big question. You're asking a good question. You're asking a doozy of a question. The question is, why did you allow the fall why do you allow fallen sinners to sin? Why did you allow that sinner to do this to me? It's just a teeny little subset of the big question. 
Why do you allow sinners to do these things? God gives freedom to humans to do these things. So listen, when somebody hurts you, (laughs) I want to ask you to show your hands, but I won't. How many of you here have been hurt by somebody? How many of you are alive, right? Let's see, how many times do you want to hear about? It started when I was one. (laughs) And my brother, you know, the story goes, right? When somebody hurts you and you ask, why, God? And listen, I'm sympathetic. Have I ever, in, in moments of human weakness, asked, Lord, why? Yeah, you bet I have. In, sometimes in a big way. When I really should have known his answers from Scripture. But that, they didn't help me right then. I needed to ask why. I get that. I understand that. I'm very sympathetic to that. And I'm ready to do what the Bible says in Romans 12, weep with those who weep. And if they're saying, why, God, I'm not going to give them a speech right on the spot. No, no, no. Don't be asking that question. The Bible already told you why. No, I'm going to say, I know, man. Put my arm around him. I know. I get it. But when we ask why, God, because somebody's breaking of God's commandments is hurting us, what you're really asking is something like this. Why don't you stop people from doing wrong? You say, well, no, I don't mean that. I just mean that person to me. Okay, so now you want to be an, an exemption. You want to be a special case. God, I understand it's a fallen world and sinners are hurting sinners. I just didn't think you'd let that one hurt me. I want you to see what we're really doing there. We're really saying, Lord, why did you allow the fall? And now that we're fallen, why do you allow sinners to sin? Or at least, why are you allowing that one to sin? I want to be an exception. I want you to create, we talked about this last week, this fall-free zone, this bubble around me so I can move around in my bubble and nothing fallen touches my life. Guess what? You're fallen. You're going to break the bubble. You're going to hurt somebody else. But don't be surprised. Don't be all disappointed in God when he allows sinners to do things that hurt you. I don't say it glibly, but that's life on this planet. That's just what it is. From your youth, the way kids treat other kids, it's so so good that babies are incapable of inflicting harm or your baby would kill you in a rage, right? It's so good, they're helpless. Why does God allow things? He does allow things, but there comes a day. There comes a day, my brothers and sisters, there comes a day when he will allow things no more. Let me tell you a story. I doubt if it's true, but it's often been told in sermons. I heard it in somebody's sermon somewhere. I hope I'm reproducing it from memory halfway correctly. But here's the story. It's down in Texas. There was a farmer who was anti-God, anti-Christian, and arrogant about it. And he made it a point to farm in his fields that were right next to the church on Sundays while the people were in there worshiping. He'd be out there running his tractors, making noise, making dust, just to kind of in their face, be anti-God. And turns out he had a very fine season on his farm. He made really good cash by the end of the growing season. And so he wrote and put an editorial in the newspaper, and it said, hey, uh, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. I've been anti-God. I've been doing my crops on Sundays right next to the church. My dust is blowing in their windows, and I had the best year I've ever had in my life. How do you explain that? And the editor of the paper put in a little short note that said, please note, God does not settle all his accounts in the month of December. (laughs) There comes a day when all wrongs will be made right. We're not in that day yet. We want that day now. Now, Lord, justice now. No, 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 no. There comes a day, we call it the last day, and all things will be made right. Between now and then, people will hurt you. 
and you don't have to get back at them, and you don't have to get even with them. The Bible says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. You pray for them, they're your enemies. You love them, you bless them, you do good for them, that you may be like your Father in heaven. And it's in God's capable hands. He'll deal with them appropriately. It's your job to love. But why do we suffer sometimes? Because people do us harm. Debbie's mother, who just passed away, we had a funeral Friday night. We have another one in Lexington, Virginia tomorrow. She had lots of Virginia-isms in her. They were really good. We're going we're to write a book about all the funny things she said, some of the ways she said things. And she used to say, Oh, he did them dirty. He done them dirty. Yeah, people are going to do you dirty. Wait for the last day. So sometimes we suffer because God allows sinners to break his commands. He allows other people to do things that are wrong and it hurts you. Here's another reason. Here's a fourth reason why we suffer. Sometimes we suffer. Ah, now we come to ourselves. Sometimes we suffer because we have done wrong. See, so far it was, it's just a fallen planet. So far it was, there's a contest in heaven. So far it was other people are doing wrong. Now you have agency. Now you're a mover. Now you're in the picture. Now you're part of the cause. Sometimes we suffer because we have done wrong. We are breaking God's commandments. We are grieving the Holy Spirit. We are wounding our own consciences. And there are results of that. Some of them we, we might call uh, natural results, and others we might call supernatural results. When we do things wrong, there are some natural results of that. I'm going to talk about that. And when we break God's commandments, there are some supernatural results sometimes. God-inflicted results. We're going to talk about that. Let's talk first about the natural results. Look at Galatians 6, 7 with me. Here it is. Paul says, do not be deceived. Now, brothers and sisters and friends, whenever someone in the Bible says, do not be deceived, they're saying that because there's a good chance you might be deceived. So here's something you can really trick yourself with, and Paul's about to set it straight so you won't fool yourself. You won't fool yourself thinking it's otherwise. Here's, here's what it really is. Don't be deceived. Here's the truth. God is not mocked. That farmer in Texas, he thought he was mocking God. Uh-uh. God's going to win this whole thing. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Now, that makes sense, right? If you're a farmer, you're out in your fields, and you're sowing corn, sowing corn, sowing corn, sowing corn, rain, sun, days, months go by. What's going to come up? Corn. Very simple principle from, from life, from the planet. Whatever you sow, that's what you're going to reap. And so it is in life. Sometimes when you're suffering, it's because you've been sowing things, and now you're reaping them. Here's another verse about that. Uh, Hosea 8-7. I love this. I love the way this is expressed. I love this. He's speaking of some people who were doing unrighteous things, and he says, For they sow the wind... Imagine that. Here's a farmer out sowing. What's he sowing? Wind. Dug a little furrow, put in some wind, put in some more wind, put in some more wind, put in some more wind. They sow the wind, and when you sow a whole field full of wind, what do you get? A whirlwind. So you've been sowing and sowing and sowing and sowing, breaking God's commandments, and there are natural results to that. And some of them are going to be a whirlwind. Some examples of that. What do I mean? You've been a terrible parent. I pray none of you have been a terrible parent. By God's grace, none of us have been really great parents, but hopefully we've been substantially doing the things the Lord wants us to do as parents. But let's imagine you've been a terrible parent. And now your kids are grown, and they want nothing to do with you. That hurts. Ouch, that hurts. Why is this happening to me? You sowed the wind. You're reaping the whirlwind. Suppose you find yourself in dire financial straits. 
But for the past 20 years, every time $1 comes into your hands, $2 go right back out of your hands. And you just burn through money like there's no tomorrow and borrow like you never have to pay it back. And now you're in big trouble. And you say, why is the Lord letting this happen to me? Listen, there are natural consequences to what you've been sowing and sowing and sowing and sowing. And now you're in the reaping phase. Suppose you indulge in excessive use of alcohol and now your liver is shot. And you're asking God, God, why did you allow this to happen to me? Because I allowed you to break commandments, and you did. You're sowing the wind, and you're reaping a whirlwind. You've been an awful husband, and you come home one day and find a letter from your wife, and she's gone because you've been awful. Now, sometimes she's gone, and you haven't been awful. But in this case, she's been awful. You've been awful, and she's gone. And you're all upset at God. Lord, why are you letting this happen? Because it hurts so bad. I get it. I understand that. You're reaping what you sowed, brother. You've been an awful husband. Nobody would want to live with you. Sometimes we're suffering because we have done wrong, and there are just natural results. We're reaping what we've sown. But sometimes it goes to another level when we're breaking God's commandments. Sometimes when we have done wrong and suffer, it's not natural results. It's supernatural results. It's divinely intended, divinely given specific results to what we've done. The classic passage is Hebrews 12. But before we go there, before we go there, can I move this? Before we go there, I want to remind you, or maybe you didn't hear the message last week, so I want to inform you, the first point of why we suffer the point that said that most of it's just a result of the fall. It's just because we're on a fallen planet and God said, cursed is the earth and cursed are you and cursed are the animals and thorns and thistles are going to come up and you're going to die. And this is why you suffer because you're a fallen creature on a fallen planet. I want to remind you, I don't have data. I think you agree with me. Most of human suffering is because of that. It just falls under that. But very often, every time a Christian suffers, a given Christian, they just go crazy with, it must be me. God's getting me. I must have sins. I, I must have done something wrong. He's trying to deal with me. Maybe. But more often than not, I think it's just life on a fallen planet. And a lot of y'all, some of y'all are way too hard on yourselves. Now, others of you are not hard enough on yourselves. Oh, that you could all be in the middle like me. So those of you who tend to be really hard on yourselves, I'm afraid your meter is going to go to red right here because we're going to talk about how God is dealing with you because of your sins sometimes. And you think he's always doing that. So just keep in mind what we already said. Now, I don't think most of your suffering is a result of this, but sometimes some of it may be. It is God chastening you you've done wrong there are natural results you've done wrong there are supernatural results that is god is chastening you god has paddles he has an infinite collection of paddles in all sizes and shapes he's a good father and he disciplines and corrects his children the classic passage hebrews chapter 12 look at it with me verse 5b through 6 my son do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Now, that's the danger of some of y'all who are going to blame everything on, well, it's a fallen planet. It's not me. Yeah, it is you. Don't regard it lightly. Nor be weary when reproved by him. That's some of the other ones of you. Oh, he's always disciplining me. Everything I suffer is his discipline. There's so much discipline. No, no, no. Don't be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he, say the next word with me, loves it's out of love it's the love of God and the mercy of God and the grace of God and the goodness of God and he chastises every son so every Christian gets some paddle from God you get some not as much as some of you think but you get some and he chastises every son whom he receives that's a good father 
every one of your children, because you love them. You want, to grow, want them to grow up self-controlled, responsible, reasonable, able to be decent citizens that can live in society, and it's up to you to train them. They start off barbarians. They need to arrive at some standard of decent humanity at some point, so you discipline them more. Hebrews 12, 10. Four, they, our earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time. It didn't last long. In light of eternity, how many paddlings did you get? Or other kinds of discipline. They did it for a short time as it seemed best to them. Amen? Amen, fathers. Amen, mothers. You walk in the room, they're both screaming. You're trying to figure it out. You figure it out as best seems to you. That seems best to you. All right, here's what I think happened. Here's what I'm going to do. It probably wasn't all correct. But he disciplines us for our good. So when you're suffering because of God's chastening, you can point at the suffering and say, this is good. This is good. Why is it good? He's doing it that we may share his holiness. And the assumption is, you'll like that, that idea. Oh, this is so I can become more like God. This is so I can share his holiness. That's what I want. I want that more than anything. I want to be like my Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to share in God's holiness. And he's bringing me some chastening so I can be more like him. So that's good. Thank you, Lord. Hebrews 12, uh, then 12, 11, one more verse about this. For the moment, <laughs> all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But afterward, but later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So, why am I suffering? Why, God? Sometimes it's because you've been reaping and now you're sowing. And what you're sowing here is the direct, fatherly, loving, immediate, disciplinary actions of God. And there's a whole range of them, just like there is with parents. Do you, do you spank for every, for every infraction? I hope not. There, there's a scale. If you do this, you get a look. If you do that, you get a look and a word. Slide over on the scale a little bit more, you go to your room. A little bit more, uh, give me your device. You can't play with that anymore. Slide over a little bit more, and all the way over here, reserved for really special occasions, there might be corporal punishment. You don't get that out all the time. And God has a whole scale. It might be a look, it might be a word, it might be the paddle. Hebrews 12 is telling us about all of those. The discipline is the whole scale and all the ways he might do it. The Lord Jesus spoke about this in Revelation 3.19 where it says, Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. It's because Jesus loves you. He's a good Savior. So why do we suffer? Sometimes because God is chastening us. I got a couple more reasons. Probably not enough time to go through them all, but we'll see what happens. And here's the next one. Sometimes we suffer because God is using our suffering to bless others. Are you willing? Are you willing? Lord, if it'll bless them, then okay, but give me grace, please. I need your grace. Hold me up. But I'm willing. I'm willing to be used and I'm willing to suffer if it's going to help those people. Back to Joseph. Fast forward into his life. Go all the way down to Genesis 50 and verse 20. And it's years later, and his brothers have been up there with dad in the land, and they had a famine, and dad says, go down to Egypt and get us some food. And guess who was the dispenser of food? It was Joseph, who was now vice regent, second ruling person in the kingdom. He had the Midas touch. And his brothers show up, and they don't know who he is, but he eventually reveals himself to them, and now they're terrified. Oh, no, now he's going to get us. He's second man in Egypt, and we threw him in a pit, and we sold him into slavery. Now he's going to get even. And Joseph says, Genesis 50, 20, amazing words from an amazing heart. As for you, 
You meant evil against me. But there was another purpose going on, guys. But God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Because of my food management, a lot of people's lives are saved. And this is one of God's great purposes for why he allowed you to sin against me, throw me in the pit, sell me into slavery, Midianites, Egyptians, down in Egypt, all those years wondering, what is this about? And now Joseph knows, here's a purpose. And the purpose was Joseph suffered because God was using his suffering to bless others, and he was, he was willing. Maybe that's the reason you're suffering right now, and maybe you won't know for 50 years that that was the reason. God was using that because he's going to bless some people over there. Are you willing? And here's another reason why we suffer sometimes. Sometimes we suffer. I think this is my last one. We're going to make it through. Sometimes we suffer because God is changing us. This is a very important theme. It shows up many times in Scripture. Sometimes we suffer because God is changing us. We need to change. We need to grow. But we're bad plants in poor soil. We don't change very easily. We don't grow very easily. What's it take to get us to change? What's it take to get us to grow? Very often the answer is suffering, adversity. So God graciously, lovingly brings it into our lives to give us the thing we most want. What do you most want? I do not most want an absence of suffering. I most want to grow. I most want to be like Christ. Well, then God is going to do some things to you so he can do some things in you, and ultimately he'll thereby do some things through you and bless other people like he did with Joseph. But sometimes we suffer because God is changing us, and here's what you say when he's doing that. Psalm 19, 71. It is good. You know what? Read this with me. Read this aloud with me, would you? It's Scripture. Read it aloud with me. Ready? It is good for me that I was afflicted that I might learn your statutes. Looking back, Lord, it was good that you made me suffer. It was good that I went through that thing. It was good. Why? Because it changed me. I learned your statutes. It made me fall on my face and humble myself before you and read scripture and seek your face. It made me draw near to the Lord Jesus. It made me get faithful in attendance with the people of God. It did all kinds of things in me. It, it pushed me into deep fellowship with brothers and sisters. Lord, it was good for me that I was afflicted. I learned your statutes. James chimes in and says, James 1, count it all joy. Throw a party, brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Throw a party, celebrate, rejoice. Why would I do that? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. It's changing you. Oh, Lord, I want to be steadfast. Just don't make me suffer. That's not going to work. Oh, Lord, I want to be steadfast. Are you ready to suffer? Yes, Lord. If it'll make me st steadfast, I'm willing to suffer because I want to be steadfast more than I want to be pain-free. Just give me grace because I'm weak. And the Lord allows the suffering to come into your life. I'm going to skip down to Romans 5 for the slide, man. Romans 5, verses 3 and 4. There we are. Thank you. Not only that, Paul says, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Now stop right there. Look at me. Really? Hmm. Really? I mean, can you really say, amen, that's me. I rejoice in my sufferings. That's at least counterintuitive, huh? That's somewhat strange. You rejoice in your sufferings? Paul says, yeah, this is normal Christian living. This is not super saints. This is Bible living 101. We rejoice in our sufferings because we know something. We're not stupid. Knowing that suffering produces something that we want. It produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And I want those more than I want a pain-free life. I want those more than I want an absence of suffering. So, Lord, if you're changing me, then, dare I say it, bring it on. But give me grace 
So there are many reasons why we might suffer. Now, I'm gonna, you're going to like this. This is so creative of me. I'm going to give you the very same conclusion I gave you last week. I shouldn't have told you that, and I should have asked you. Have you heard that before? Here's it, here it is, three simple points in closing. That's the cue for the keyboard person. Closing, thank you. I just made up that cue. Christian or not, here it is. Christian or not, just get it in your head. Christian or not, you're going to suffer. You're going to suffer. Don't be surprised. Don't act like it's some strange thing. This is life on the planet. Remember where we started the sermon last week? The Apostle Paul went around the churches they had planted, encouraging and establishing the brothers and sisters with these words, it is through many tribulations that we must enter the kingdom of God. You're all going to suffer. I want you to know it so you won't get disillusioned with God, so you won't get weary in it, so you won't get all disappointed, so you won't get all twisted out of shape. You're going to suffer. But I'm happy to tell you point number two, God's grace. God's grace will uphold you in all your trials. Your suffering is an opportunity for God's grace to shine. Paul had his thorn in the flesh. What did God say to him? I gave you that because you're going to learn that in my strength, your weakness is fine in my strength. There we got it. God's grace will uphold you in all your trials. You just keep looking up to him. You just keep crying out to him. You just keep pleading with him. You just keep reading scripture. You just keep praying. You just keep doing the will of God. You just keep fellowshipping with God's people. You just keep strengthening yourself in the things of the kingdom of God. God's grace will uphold you in all of your trials. And here's the third and last point in closing. And a day is coming, my friends. Amen? A day is coming when we shall suffer no more. No more tears, no more sorrow, no more anguish of soul, no more crying, no more why gods. The day is coming, but first the cross, then the crown, then the glory. But the day is coming, long for that day, hasten that day, live for that day, a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So I hope this is helping you a little bit with suffering. Pray with me. Father in heaven, you know how weak we are, how frail we are, how easily we are disillusioned, filled with sorrow and pain. And no doubt there are people in this room and people listening at home right now who are suffering some awful affliction. Draw them near to yourself. Be with them. Let them feel that you are their God and they are your people. Fill them with your Holy Spirit and give them the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Bathe them in that comfort, we pray. We pray that you will uphold them by your steadfast and mighty right hand. Keep them in the palm of your hand. None can snatch them out of that. Father, we're also praying for people who are far from you right now. And of course, they're suffering too. May their sufferings turn them to you. Some of you who are not believers, would you pray, Father, I've been angry at you because of the suffering, but I realize now it's just a fallen planet. And what I really need is the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, I need you. Would you come into my heart? Would you be my Savior? Would you forgive me all my trespasses? Would you cover all my sins in your blood? Give me life everlasting. Jesus said, all who come to me, I will in no wise cast out. Come to the Lord Jesus. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, Cornerstone family and friends and those that are joining us online. We're so thankful to be here today and worship with you. It's been good, hasn't it? It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ established communion 
or his people. So if you are a true believer in Jesus Christ, we welcome you to join us at the table of communion. Those of you that are joining us online, it's time for you to go get your elements as well. And today, I simply want to read to you from Isaiah 53 as a reminder to us of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. And I'm going to be reading Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6. And uh, after we read it, we're going to have a few moments for you to reflect upon what Christ has done. Isaiah writes, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Think about that, brothers and sisters. On the night that the Lord Jesus was betrayed, he said to his disciples, that this bread represented his body that was given for us, was broken for us. He prayed over it, and he told his disciples to partake of it. And in the same way, in like manner, he said, this is the cup of my blood of the new covenant. And it was shed for the forgiveness of sins. He prayed over it and told his disciples to partake of it. And we rejoice for what Christ has done for us. If you're new here and you want to learn a little bit more about cornerstone in the process of membership. We're going to have a membership class on November 8th and 15th at 9 o'clock downstairs. We also will have that available on Zoom for those of you that cannot make it. So if you'd like to join us, please sign up at Connections, and we would love to have you join that class. Well, we have one more song that we're going to sing, so let's stand and lift our voices and worship to our God.
worshiping our, our risen Lord this morning with you. I uh, just wanted to let you know next week our service is going to be a little different. We're going to be celebrating a lot of different uh, 